Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, March the 11th in 2020 on When I Rise. Currently we're in year A in the third Sunday of Lent, but there are only four passages for the week and so we have a five-day uh, weekday podcast. So I need to come up with another scripture text for the week and I didn't get any special requests this week from the When I Rise land out there. So I get to pick one myself and I thought something that dovetails with the theme of the week uh, from our other passages. I go to an interesting passage in the book of Amos chapter 9. Amos is one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament towards the the end of the Old Testament period. And so I'm going to read Amos chapter 9 verses 5 through 10 and uh, provide a couple points of reflection and then lead us to a time of prayer over it. And so we will get to the bottom of that. It's an interesting passage. For those uh, in the Old Testament studies, you'll know that this is an interesting one that we grapple with from time to time. And so I'll read the passage. I'll provide that reflection. We'll lead a time of prayer. But thanks for making this part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise to meet God together in a time of prayer. Amos chapter 9 verses 5 through 10. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty place in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are you not Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Arameans from Kur? Surely the eyes of the Sovereign Lord are on the sinful nation. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, all those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. This is the word of God for us. All right, what can we say about uh, this passage from Amos chapter 9? Well, Amos in context is a compelling book from beginning to end. Amos is prophesying during a time of great trouble in the land of Israel. And uh, Amos himself is not a, a paid prophet. He didn't go to college to be a prophet. He's a farmer, works in the fields. And the word of the Lord came upon him, so he decided to uh, preach uh, a hard message to the people of God. And he does this in a unique way. If you look towards the beginning of the book of Amos, he begins to gather a crowd of people and the, the initial oracles that he calls from God are destruction against the neighbors and the lived-in enemies of the people of Israel. So you can imagine as he is uh, decrying the sins of all these foreign nations that a nationalistic spirit would have been building within his hearers. Uh, there might have even been an amen or a hallelujah or make it plain and preach it brother from his congregation but then he stuns the people almost like pulls the rug out from under their feet because his last oracle is against the nation of Israel against the people of God and so he not only does he have words of destruction and warning against the foreign nations but also against the people of God 
This is one of the interesting uh, pieces of the shape of the Old Testament story. God has chosen this one people, the people of Abraham, to be his people, but they are part of the problem and not part of the solution. God has great hopes for this people because he's their God and they're his people. However, again and again, they default upon their vocation to be this advanced community and copy of what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. So God is stuck with his people, but also he needs to judge them for their sins. And so one of the governing questions of the Old Testament is, how is this sovereign God, but this God full of love for his children and his people, how is he going to work out this story? Can he be just and loving at the same time? How do we reconcile these two parts of who God is, a God of love and a God of justice? You know something really interesting here. If you were to ask an Old Testament Israelite, how do you know that you're God's people? They would say because with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, God brought us up out of the nation of Egypt uh, to be his people and through the wilderness into the promised land. So a key feature of their identity was that God freed them from slavery in Egypt. He brought the Exodus and he gave them a law to follow and that as they follow it, they are in covenant blessing with God. So notice these peculiar, this peculiar passage in verse 7. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites? Cushites um, battled against the people of Israel from time to time. He goes on further. Did I not bring up Israel from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Arameans from Kerr? Now, we're not exactly sure where Kaftor and Kerr are, but we do know the Philistines and the Arameans. These are lived-in enemies of the people of God. David fought against the Philistines. Uh, at other times in Israel's history, they fought against the Arameans. And so this is interesting. The very same thing that the Israelites hold on to as proof that they are God's people, in this weird passage in Amos, God says, I did the same for the Cushites, I did the same for the Philistines, and I did the same for the Arameans. Now, a couple things are colliding at this moment. At this time where um, Amos is prophesying Israel, some of these nations are no longer there. The Philistines had fallen by this point. Um, and so there's there's two things going on. There's a warning that just because God has moved on your behalf, it doesn't mean that you can get away with whatever you want. That's one thing. And that's a, a warning that I think would be easy to stomach for the people of Israel. They were aware of their shortcomings and sins. They were aware of this warning. But also this, this mind-broadening thing is happening. That the very thing that we thought was special about us, God has uniquely done for other people as well. And this is a, a thing that's beginning to develop in the later parts of the Old Testament history, is that God is going to send a light not just to the people of Israel, but also a light to the Gentiles. And I think it's important for us. So we've already talked about how, uh, this far, that the people of God grumbled and complained against God's promises in Exodus 17. And then we had this psalm from Psalm 95, which causes us to remember to we need to close our mouths and our preconceived notions and our embedded theology so that God can speak to us about what he is doing in the earth. And so here we have a moment once again for us to calm ourselves, to get quiet, and to ask God, God, what are you going to do today? You continue to surprise us with the plans that you have in mind. I think it's important for us because I think we have some preconceived notions. We have some embedded theology today about what God will and will not do. But perhaps in this season of Lent, we can allow ourselves to be lowly once again 
and to say, ultimately, God, it's your story. We are your people. This is your world. You sent your son. This is your salvation. You do whatever you want. And so I'm going to pray a prayer of allegiance this morning, that we repent of the ways in which we've tried to box God in, and we give him a chance once again to do whatever he wants to do. So let's spend some time praying this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you today that you're a good and generous God. And you're generous to forgive and to save, to restore us. We thank you that this is the day of salvation. Uh, that we should call out to you while you can be found and while you can be sought. And so, God, we call upon you today. And we ask, God, that you would do a fresh new work within us. God, look, we, we have to confess this morning we can't help ourselves. We anticipate the future because we're scared to death of what we do not know. We don't know what lies ahead the next minute, the next hour, the next week and month and year and decades. God, we have no idea. And so we, we tend to only think that what we've experienced so far is the only thing that we can expect in the days to come. But God, I thank you that this is not our plan, that you're making everything come to its conclusion and to bring a sum of all things up in Christ. And so, God, this day, I thank you that you are God and we are not. So, God, forgive us for the times in which we try to make ourselves God and we try to make you in our image and have you hold on to our expectations for the days to come. God, we know that the future is messy. We know that it's complex. We know that it takes more faith to continue to go forward, to go onward. And so, God, today, we pray a prayer of allegiance. You are God and we are not. And therefore, we we cling to you this day, and we ask that you to help us and give us the strength to endure the days ahead with faithfulness, with gratitude in our hearts, understanding that you're bringing all things to its good end. God, we're remindful of the affirmation of the crowd in Mark chapter 7 when they said of Jesus, He does all things well. God, we know that we're not in a place of disease, in a place of anxiety, but we're in a place of safety and of goodness. Because we still believe and pray to the one who does all things well. So God, be with, with us this day. Animate us with your light and your life and your hope. Allow us to be people of hope this day. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.